Of course, I'm preaching on Spirit-Filled Family Living. That was our summer series, and I was talking to Chad about that this week, and I said, well, I think I'm going to finish it just in time to preach a brief Christmas series. So now it's become the fall series. But there's so much for us to learn, amen? I mean, we're, we're discovering how God wants us to live. And on this uh, day, I've got to make a point, a uh, personal point, since I'm preaching on the family, especially today is something of an anniversary for me. 30 years ago today, I met Mary Alice. Can you believe that? When I was a kid growing up and I heard people say 30 years ago something happened, I thought, those people have to be really old. <laughs> and maybe I am, but uh, 30 years ago, O.D.Y. at High School in Fort Worth, Texas, I met my wife. 38 years ago, I met Jesus Christ. And I'd hate to think where I'd be without either one of them this morning. But we are preaching on Spirit-Filled Family Living this summer, now fall. And what we're looking for in our home life, our marriages, our relationship with our children and parents, and even for those of you who are single, just your relationships in general, we're looking for a power outside ourselves. And I'm not denigrating the modern counseling movement. There's a lot of good to it. But one of the problems that I see, and I've, I've articulated this before, one of the concerns that I have about the modern counseling movement is it tends to work on us and see what kind of changes we can make in our own behavior. There's, there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. My concern is that that's grossly limited. What God wants is to move into your situation, the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit. He wants to come on your marriage. He wants to come upon your relationship with your children, your parents, your relationships uh, at work. In every area of your life, God wants to move in and work. And trust me, that's much more beneficial than anything that we can do to alter ourselves. And that's what we need today. I'm talking to some of you, perhaps, who've just about given up on your marriage. Perhaps you've given up on a relationship uh, with your children. I talked to a very wealthy man some time ago who, uh, who has a son that he hasn't spoken to in eight years. And although this man has hundreds of millions of dollars, I have to look at that and say he is a very poor man. Maybe you're here today and you're, you've just about given up on your marriage, on the relationships with your children or parents. But please don't do that. God wants to move into the equation. He wants to work in your life. Now, throughout the summer, we've been working on a principle that we discovered in the book of Galatians chapter 6, verse 8, where the Bible says, The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. There's the principle. Every thought you think, Every action you take, every attitude you hold is a seed. And when you plant those seeds into the soil of your life, either good or bad, you're going to see them again. Your life as it is right now is a harvest of seeds that you and others have sown in previous times. And your life in the future will be contingent upon the seeds that you are sowing today. And we've seen the principle very clearly throughout the summer. If you sow to the Spirit of God, if you're God's child, the Holy Spirit lives within you. If you sow in obedience to the Spirit of God, you will have a harvest of life. You'll have a harvest of life in your marriage. You'll have a harvest of life in your relationship with your children. In every relationship of life, you'll have a harvest of life if you sow to the Spirit. If, on the other hand, we sow to our carnal natures, we will have a harvest of death. And I just want to say one more time. One of the tragedies that I've had in, in being a pastor, and I love being a pastor, but in the last 17 years that I've been pastor here, one of the great tragedies that I've seen is people who are born again, who have a, a, a bad situation in their lives, and they don't know why it is. 
It's because someone has been sowing carnal seed, sowing bad seed. If you sow to your carnal nature, there'll be a harvest of death. If you sow to the Spirit, there'll be a harvest of life. We want that harvest of life. Amen? I mean, we want the good things to happen. God tells us what will happen if we sow to the Spirit in the book of Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. The verse that follows the one I gave you a moment ago. The Bible says, Let us not be weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Now, I want to go back to where we were. You know, of course, we took a two-week break uh, for the September 11th anniversary and also a message that I brought last Sunday. But I want to go back to where we were two weeks ago. We were looking at three commands that God gives to every spirit-filled believer. They are as follows. Number one, put off the old self. The old self is who we were before we were born again by the Spirit of God. That depraved nature, that nature that we were born with that has an inclination toward wrong. The Bible says we have to put it off. Now consider for a moment, if a Christian, such as you and myself, if we are commanded to put off the old nature, inherent in that is the idea that it's possible for a person to be born again and still yet living in the old nature. And so the Bible says for us to put it off, put off the old self, just as you would put off a dirty, filthy, sweaty uh, garment, shirt, put off the old garment. And then the second command is to be made new. This, this new thing is something that God does. It's something that we are to allow to happen. God says, be made new, allow the process. The Bible tells us that he who has begun a good work in us will continue it until the day of Jesus Christ. And as a child of God, think about this for a moment. You can either accept what God wants to do in your life or you can reject it. And God says, accept it, allow it. The word of God tells us that we are God's children, that we're joint heirs with Jesus Christ, that we are more than conquerors. That is our new identity. We are to accept that and to allow the process to take place. And then thirdly, put on the new self. Think about those commands again. Put off the old self, allow the new process to take place, and then put on the new self. Whatever the Holy Spirit wants us to do, we import that into our lives. Now immediately in the book of Ephesians, which is our our text for for this, this part of the series, immediately after the Word of God tells us to put off the old self and to put on the new self, the Holy Spirit begins to give us specifics. And we have already looked in two previous messages at two of those specifics. Remember, put off the old person, put on the new person. The Bible tells us to put off lying and speak the truth. The last time we saw put off anger and put on the peace of God. This morning, I want to continue on in that same line of thought. But folks, I just don't know that I will ever talk to you about more important seed that I'm going to talk to you about today. Our premise is that if we sow spiritual seed, we will have a harvest of life. I don't know that I'm ever going to give you more important seed to sow than what you are going to see today. And for a lack of better, for lack of a better title, I've called today's message, the Jesus seeds, the Jesus seeds. I've chosen that title for three reasons. Number one, Jesus continually talked about these seeds. Study the gospels and you will find over and over and over that our Lord talked about these seeds. Number two, he lived them. He sowed these seeds like nobody else. And beyond that, When you plant these seeds in the soil of your life, you are never more like Jesus than when you plant these particular seeds. Are you interested? You want to see what these seeds are this morning? Let's look at them. 
In the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 31. Let's look. We're going to see now, remember, there's the putting off of the old person, the putting on of the new person. We're going to see the old seed and the new seed. Let's start with the old seed. Verse 31. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as Christ, as in Christ, God forgave you. Now, remember, we're we're talking about putting off the old person and putting on the new person. Before you can sow spiritual seed, you have to stop dropping carnal seed in the ground. So right out of the box, the Holy Spirit is going to tell us which seed to stop. We must put off the bad seeds. Well, what then are the bad seeds? The first one that we have listed for us is bitterness. Bitterness. Now, I think we all know the answer to this one already, but what is bitterness? Bitterness is a deadly mixture of anger and hurt stored up in the heart. Let me say that one more time. Bitterness is a deadly mixture of anger and hurt that is stored up in the heart. Someone has hurt us and we keep it inside and we don't let it go and it gets worse and worse until like acid it eats holes in the fabric of our souls and disfigures our spirits. That is bitterness. Now, do you know what makes bitterness so hard to deal with? If you've ever met someone who is bitter you know that it's very hard to get that out of them. Why is bitterness so hard to deal with? Bitterness is usually the response to long-standing injustice. In other words, and, and, and let, me, let me stop for a moment. I, I have met people who were bitter over an isolated incident in their past. And that happens on occasion. Perhaps it's, it's bad enough, it's stark enough that they look back and something, one time it happened in their lives and as a result of that, they're bitter. But most of the people I've met who are bitter are bitter about a long-standing pattern of injustice. Whatever hurt took place in their lives, it took place over a protracted period of time. And so because it happened over a long-standing, a long, a long period of time, they now have a long-standing response to that, which is bitterness. Well, without being simplistic this morning, let me ask you, where do you have the potential for long-standing relationships? Primarily in the home, right? A marriage relationship with your children, with your parents, with your in-laws. That's why bitterness is often present in homes and marriages and in-law relationships. There's simply time for it to develop. Now, while you're chewing on that and thinking about the fact that bitterness is often a a result, a response to a long-standing pattern of injustice, let's ask ourselves the question, why do people stay bitter? Because that's the problem with bitterness, right? I mean, someone who is bitter tends to stay bitter. We've all seen people with explosive anger. They blow up and then it's over. Bitterness isn't that way. I mean, a person doesn't have a spell of bitterness and get over it in five minutes. Bitterness is something that lasts for days and months and years. Why do people stay bitter? The answer to that is that victims of injustice often retain their bitterness, feeling if they let it go, they will be totally vulnerable. Now, let's think for a moment. What is it within the human spirit that feels and thinks and believes that bitterness is some kind of protection? See, here's, the, here's this human spirit that we all deal with. If you have hurt me, and I, I feel the hurt, and I feel the anger, and I store it up, and I retain it, and I hold on to it, if I'm like most people, somehow I have it in my mental gear work 
that the bitterness that I feel is a protection against what someone has done to hurt me. Am I talking to somebody like that here today? You were the victim of an injustice. You were the victim of some hurt and you hold on to your anger and you think if I let them off the hook, they will get off. If if I let them off the hook, they will get off scot-free. But friend, I want you to hear the word of God this morning. If you hold bitterness in your heart, it is a bad seed. Listen to what the Bible says one more time in Ephesians 4 verse 31. The Bible says, get rid of all bitterness. Not some, but get rid of all bitterness. Why? Listen, whoever you are, however old you are, whatever gender you are, and regardless of what anyone has ever done to you, trust me, trust the word of God, you can't afford to be bitter. I hear somebody say, but pastor, you don't know how badly I've been hurt by my husband or by my wife or my kids. Or you don't know how much I've been hurt by my mother or by my dad. And I've often been heartbroken as I have listened to adults tell me about their victimization and how they were abused when they were children. And I have great sympathy for that. But even to those of you who may have endured that, could, could I say to you in all love, you still can't afford to be better. You can't afford to be bitter. Someone could say, well, pastor, I don't care what you say. I'm going to stay mad. I'm going to stay hurt. Friend, I want to say one more time. You can't afford bitterness. It's just too expensive. Listen to the word of God. From the book of, excuse me, from the book of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. The Bible says, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. Listen to this. Lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled. Now, I just said, you can't afford to be bitter. What is, what is God just saying to us? Bitterness will, will do two things. Number one, bitterness will trouble you. Did you catch that? Bitterness will trouble you. You know, the people I know who are bitter, it causes them a lot more pain than the people that they're bitter at. I mean, I have met people who walked around daily in, in the pain of bitterness and the person they were angry at never even knew it. I mean, they're oblivious. But that's what God says. God says, bitterness will trouble you. And if, especially those of you who are adults and you have children around you, if that's not enough incentive to let it go, try this one on. The Bible says it will defile many. The Greek word, you know, of course, the New Testament wasn't written in English. It was written in Greek. The Greek word for defile there means to contaminate. In other words, if I have bitterness in my life, I have to be cognizant of the fact that not only will it trouble me, it will contaminate the people around me. Whenever I think of contamination, I think about the oil spill that happened off the coast of Alaska. How many of you remember the Exxon Valdez? And when that tanker disgorged its oil, remember those awful pictures of the dead fish and the dying wildlife. Can you remember the the ducks that were walking around soiled, unable to fly because they're covered with oil and the damage, the billions of dollars of damage that was done? That's what the Bible is talking about when it talks about bitterness. It will trouble you and it will contaminate those around you. 
I can't afford to be bitter today because I have three sons. I can't afford to be bitter because I have a loving wife. I can't afford to be bitter because I'm surrounded by people that I love. I can't afford for that bitterness to seep out and to contaminate their lives. You know, church, I remember my great-grandmother. On a human level, she had very much a right to be angry. Her husband walked out on her with three small children, just as some of you have experienced. My grandmother was one of those children. He just walked out, just left, no warning, just one day he didn't come home from work. But my great-grandmother was never able to deal with that. And year by year, she constantly grew more bitter. Now, she died when I was a very small boy. But let me tell you something. To this day, the only thing I can remember about my great-grandmother was her flower bed. Because there was, a, there was a feeling in that house that I did not like. I, I could not go into that house. She was such a bitter person that there was an, there was a, there was an aura, a negative aura. And I didn't even like to be in there. And to this day, I could, I could tell you what, what the flowers look like in her flower bed, but I can't tell you what her face looked like. Because all I can remember is her flower bed. Such is the nature of bitterness. It will trouble you. It will contaminate others. And church, no matter how badly you've been hurt, you can't afford to be bitter. Well, let's move quickly. I, I want to get to the Jesus seeds this morning. Let's look at some other bad seeds. The next, there's a coupling here, rage and anger, rage and anger. Now I've already covered these. I'm not going to cover them again this morning, but just take note of them. And then there are, there's another coupling, brawling and slander. Now what, what, what's going on here? We have to get rid of these bad seed before we can start sowing the Jesus seed. Number one is bitterness, rage and anger. And now we come to brawling and and slander. Again, once again, you know, of course, the New Testament was written in Greek. And trust me on this one. This is true. I know this sounds crazy. But the word brawling there comes from a Greek word, which means to croak or scream like a raven. That's true. It also means to shriek. Ever been around a family where there's a lot of croaking and shrieking and screaming going on? Someone will say, oh, pastor, we... We yell and scream at each other all the time. Doesn't make any difference. Doesn't mean anything. Well, God says it does. God says it's bad seed. You don't want it because it leads to a bad harvest. You say, Pastor, if I don't scream, my child will not know that I'm serious. Well, if you have to scream at your child for your child to know that you're serious, that says a lot more about you than it says about your child. Jesus said, let your yes mean yes, and your no mean no. And the reason why parents scream at their children, their yes hasn't always meant yes, and their no hasn't always been no, and they just have to ratchet up the volume for their child. God says, stop the screaming. Stop the shrieking. It's a bad seed. Let it go. And then not only do we see brawling here, but slander. Slander is just saying bad things about people. Saying bad things about your husband, saying bad things about your wife, saying bad things to your husband or to your wife, saying bad things to your kids. You never do anything right. That's slander. And those are all bad seeds and they lead to a bad harvest. Let me give you one final bad seed and then we'll move on to the good news. 
The final bad seed, once again, is found in, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. The Bible says, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Well, what, do we, what do we normally think of when we think of malice? We think of hatred but or, or evil intent. Malice here just simply means bad acting. Or as my mom used to tell me when I was a kid, acting up. And the Bible says, get rid of those things. Somebody could say, Pastor, why do you spend so much time on the bad seeds when the title of the sermon is the Jesus seeds? Well, I just want us to know something that seems to be lost on most of American Christianity today. Which is before we can start doing what the Lord wants us to do, we have to get rid of the bad stuff in our lives. And it's, we're responsible for it. I mean, think about this for a moment. It makes great sense, doesn't it? We're talking about putting off the old person, putting on the new person. If you have some sort of important formal event, elegant event that you're about to attend, and you have a fine, nice new outfit, a tuxedo men or a formal ladies, and let's just say you're going to go on Saturday night, but all day Saturday you've been working in the yard and you've been perspiring heavily and you, you got oil and grease on you and, and dirt from the yard, and you come in, you say, well, it's time to get dressed, and without taking a shower and without taking off those old clothes, you go to the closet, you put your formal on on top of that. Would you do that? No, because you'd say, Pastor, regardless of how nice my outfit is, I'm still filthy. Exactly. And that's what the word of God is telling us. Before you can sow the Jesus seed, you need to take these old clothes off, get a spiritual shower, and then start putting on the Jesus seed. Well, what are, if you'll allow me to mix my metaphors there, what are the Jesus seeds? Let's read our scripture one more time. The Bible says, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind, compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. You see them, don't you? The Jesus seeds, the grace triplets, kindness, compassion, and forgiveness. Now, I'm not going to get to all those this morning, but we do want to make a start here today, and next week I'll pick, I'll pick up with the rest of this. Now, why do we call these the Jesus seeds? Three reasons. Number one, he taught them. Number two, he lived them. Number three, when you plant these seeds, you are more like Jesus than at any other time. Well, let's, let's look at the first one this morning. Kindness. Kindness. Again, the Greek word that we have for kindness is a very interesting word. Literally, it means to touch softly. Hey, you ever see a mother caress a child to comfort that child? It's the exact opposite of that horrible video we watched this week on the news. That mother who hit her child. What a horrible thing. But we know the opposite. A caring, a kind mother. There is that tender touch. That, there is that caress on the cheek that says everything is going to be okay. That's where we get this definition of kindness here. It is the soft touch. And then another definition for this word is, another synonym is easy. A kind person is easy to get along with. By the way, Jesus was that way, wasn't he? I mean, he had that soft touch. Remember how he held children in his lap and blessed them when the disciples wanted to shoo them away? You can even see it coming out of Jesus when he lay on the cross. And he gave his hands to those men to nail there in order that his blood might be a payment for our sin. Remember how he just lay his hands on the cross. And then even when he was hanging... On the cross, 
He looked down upon those men who had spat in his face, plucked out his beard, slapped him, beat him, and nailed him to a cross. And what did he say? He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I am telling you, our Lord had the soft touch. He was easy to get along with. Hey, let me ask you a question. Do you want to have a spirit-filled home? I mean, you know, when we, I I, I was sharing this with the early service today. One of the things that I think about sometimes is there's sort of a disconnect when we consider how the Holy Spirit works in the church and how he works in the home. We have a great service here. What do we say when we leave? We say, wow, the Holy Spirit really met with us today. But when at home do we cradle our head on our pillows at night and say, wow, the Holy Spirit really met with us at home today. He wants to do that. Do you want to have a spirit-filled home? Put on kindness. Put on that soft touch. Put on that easy spirit that's easy to get along with. Well, I can read a watch, and I know it's almost 12 o'clock. But I want to give you one more before I close out the service today. Once once again, I want us to go back to Ephesians 4.32. We're looking at the Jesus seed. The Bible says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ and God forgave you compassionate. Now, what is compassion? Now, think with me for a moment. Compassion is one level above kindness. I can be kind without being compassionate. I can meet you out there someplace today and you say to me, pastor, I'm really going through a tough time. And I can put my my hand on your shoulder and say, I'm so sorry for you. I'll be praying for you. That's kindness. But compassion is deeper than that. Compassion is when the heart pours out. It's more than just the soft touch. It's that caring that makes a difference. We've called this the Jesus seed. And I thought about this as I want to close out the message today. Instead of me preaching, I'd like for, I'd like for Jesus to preach. Because you see, he, he told a story that tells us what compassion truly is. I'd like to read it to you briefly. It's in Luke's Gospel, chapter 10. Jesus said, verse 30, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now, I I always put myself, or I try to put myself, you guys know me, I have a vivid imagination. I always try to put myself in Jesus' crowd while he's teaching. And he starts telling this story, and it starts innocuous enough. He he says there was a man who went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves. Well, that wasn't surprising at all, because the road from Jerusalem to Jericho dropped dramatically. And there were lots of dark and narrow passageways, and when people traveled there at night, they were just asking for it. So Jesus said there was a man who was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among thieves. They stripped him and beat him and left him half dead, and everybody is... And there's that crowd saying, and what else? And Jesus tells them. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. Now, I'm telling you, I'm putting myself in Jesus' crowd, and I'm tracking with him, and I know where he's headed with this. I should tell you, and you probably know this already, but the Jews and Samaritans didn't have any dealings with each other because of something that had happened about 700 years ago. 
the northern kingdom, the Israelites had intermarried with the, with the heathen. And beyond that, they had imported the worship of Baal. And so the people in Judea saw themselves as the pure worshipers of God. And they didn't want anything to do with the Samaritans. They saw them as half-breeds. They saw them as, as infidels. And so whenever a self-righteous Jew of good standing saw a Samaritan, he would walk to the other side of the road to keep from being defiled. And isn't it ironic in Jesus' story that it was the priest and the Levite seeing the injured man, same race, same nationality. Isn't it interesting that our Lord talked about them crossing to the other side to avoid dealing with this man who was injured? And now our Lord says, but a Samaritan came where he was. And like I say, I'm tracking with Jesus here because I'm sitting back there in the normal situation saying to myself, well, I know what is going to happen now. The Samaritan is going to come over and finish him off. But no. Now, I don't know this. There's so many questions I want to ask when I get to heaven. I, I sort of figured the Samaritan had been in that revival in John 4 that was touched off by the Samaritan woman. And he was different. The Bible says, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity. Remember, we're talking about compassion. He took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring in oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. Oh, nice story, Pastor. Well, let's put this story in this worship center this morning. Because in Jesus' story, I find three categories of people. And all of us are in one of those categories. The first category would be represented by the thieves. Those who do the damage. Thieves are the ones who caused the pain. They are the ones who have the affairs. They are the ones who yell and scream. They are the ones who are abusive. They are the ones who are controlling. They are the ones who are domineering. They are the ones who do the scheming. The thieves in the marriages are the ones who cause the pain. The thieves in the relationship between parents and children, they are the ones who cause the damage. They do the harm. second category is represented by the priest and the Levite. They are those who just flat out don't care. It's a husband who has a career. And his wife is left bleeding on the road of life. But he's busy. Or it may be a wife who has a career. And her husband is the one who is bleeding on the road, but too bad. She's busy. Or it's a parent. And this one is the hardest. I look around at my two older sons, 21 and 19, and I wonder how do they get to be young men when just yesterday I held them in the birthing suite.
and young people feel pain. I think sometimes parents, we can forget how much pain you can go through when you're young. And our kids today have to live in a culture that is nothing less than a cesspool. For some of us moms and dads, that one who is bleeding and lying beside the road is our child, it's our son or our daughter. And we're, we're not the thieves. We didn't cause the damage, but we just passed by on the other side of the road because we are busy. But then there are the Samaritans. They're the ones who care. It is the husband who can't leave his wife lying beside the road, beaten by the emotional buffeting of life, because he cares. It is a wife who can't leave her husband beside the road because she cares. It's it's parents who, although they may be busy, they understand that their main business is the business that God has given them to attend to. And they stop and they care. I want to ask you a question today. Somebody in your life is like this man going from Jerusalem to Jericho. Which one are you? Some of us would have to be honest if we were honest and say, Pastor, I'm the thief. I'm the one who did the damage. I'm the one. I didn't use a knife, but my tongue was like a knife. I'm the one who caused the pain. I'm the one who had the affair. I'm the one. I'm the one who, who was causing damage in my life. Maybe somebody would have to say that today. Friend, I have good news for you. The best thing I know about God, and I've said this to you so many times in the last 17 years, the greatest thing I know about God is He is the only one who will truly let you start over. Even those who love you will remember the past, but not God. God said He would put your sin as far away from Him as the east is from the west. He'd never remember it anymore. Have you been a thief? Have you been one who causes damage? Then go to the people that you've hurt and ask for their forgiveness and say, by the grace of God, I'm taking those seeds out of my bag and I'm going to start sowing that soft touch. And I'm going to start sowing the caring. I'm preaching to somebody here today. And you say, oh, pastor. When you talk about the people that just passed by, you're talking about me. I'm so busy. I've let the things of this life that aren't going to matter to a hill of beans a thousand years from now, I've let it encroach my relationship with my wife, with my children, with my grandchildren, with my parents. And I don't want to be that person who passes by anymore. I want to be the person who stops. May God help us. May God help us. Father, thank you for the time that we've spent together today. And now, Lord, would you work in our midst as we have this time of interchange with you. May your Holy Spirit speak to each one of us. Where we have caused damage, may we seek forgiveness. And where we've not cared, may we take time to stop. Go to that person who's hurt or bleeding by the road of life. And kneel down and have compassion. Oh God, please work in our midst. We want to have spirit-filled marriages. We want to have spirit-filled relationships with our children. We want to have spirit-filled relationships at work in our careers. God, we, we, we want to sow the seed that can have a harvest of life. And 
now, God, please work in our midst today. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me, please? This is the time of the service to say yes to God. If you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ, I'll be standing right here. You can come meet me. If God has led you to become part of Messiah, you come. I'll meet you right here. It may just be that you want to come and kneel before God and talk to him about something.